Good morning, girls and gays. Thanks for tuning in to Tindergarten, a veritable show and tell of the good, the bad, and the dramatic of 21st century queer dating. I'm your host, Raksha, and class is now in session. This week, I'll be interviewing performer and YouTuber Meredith Wells. Meredith runs a YouTube channel called Dysfunctioning Just Fine, where she shares her journey with dysautonomia. Meredith, would you like to add anything to your introduction? Sure. Uh, My name is Meredith. I go by she, her pronouns, and I live with a chronic illness called dysautonomia, and I'm also hard of hearing. Can you tell me a bit about your journey with vlogging? Yeah, so my YouTube channel came about when I did my well-known musical by the same name, Dysfunctioning Just Fine, and that was a musical about my journey being diagnosed with dysautonomia and also um, my journey of um, like falling in love with a woman for the first time and that relationship that started on the same day that I started feeling the symptoms of that illness and it was kind of like the stars aligning moment, but it opened up this very necessary dialogue I felt and a dialogue that by the end of the production, I didn't really feel like it was the time to finish that dialogue. So I created the YouTube channel as a way of continuing the dialogue. What do you feel like it's brought to your life or what kind of conversations have maybe other people in the community had with you about it? Yeah, so it's been really cool, you know, the amount of people who have come to it not knowing anything about the show or the people who come from it who, you know, saw the show. And I think now at this point, it's really just my way of, like, giving back to my community. It's the way that I try to help in any way that I can and give tips and tricks on living with the disorder. And I think it's been really nice to... I don't know, just like feel like I'm making a difference. Not that I feel, don't feel like I'm making a difference with my art, but that just feels like a really tangible, like here's something that's helping me live with this disorder and hopefully it helps you too. Speaking of your art, can you tell me more about the kind of performance art you do? Yeah, so um, I am a musical theater artist. I love to sing and act and dance and all that jazz. I love to do it together, but I also really love those art forms separately. And pretty much since I graduated college, I've been doing mostly concert dance work, which I never really expected, but I've kind of just been trying to embrace and have been really happy with that. I think the reason that that ended up happening is because I stumbled upon a physically integrated company, meaning that Uh, The company has artists with and without disabilities dancing together, and that's something that really fascinated me. I thought it was really interesting and also an opportunity for me to train with people who are specializing in dancers in wheelchairs and a special technique for them. And that was something that I felt like I was, I don't want to say lacking in college. I mean, I definitely got a dance training, but it was, it wasn't they didn't always know what to do with the whole like wheelchair aspect of it. So I've kind of been doing that in addition to musical theater work around um, the Cleveland, Ohio area and just having a grand time with it. (laughs) Do you feel like your art 
is activisty or is it just like something that you do for release and like your personal time? Yeah, it, it just depends on what I'm doing. I think there are certain pieces, especially pieces that I've written on my own accord and created. Those tend to be a little more activism focused, but I've definitely also done other shows that, you know, are just fun and lighthearted and I, I don't feel like are really packing much of an activist punch or anything like that. But um, I think, you know, there's also a need for that too, like in like the space of there being, so, there, you know, being activists and things that we should be activists about, but also sometimes we just need a break from all of that. And we just need to escape the world. So I like to, it, it's nice to be able to, you know, have the moments where I feel like an activist and I feel like my art is really changing the world, but also have moments where I can provide an escape from the world for people. So I really enjoy doing both. <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense. So other than the YouTubing and intense musical theatering, is there anything else going on that's cool and interesting in your life? I've been doing a lot of writing. I'm currently working on two projects. Um, one of them is a play that I'm co-writing with um, two women that I went to college with. Um, their names are Jordan Reed and Elena. I am writing a piece with them about body image and our like really um, private and pretty intimate relationship that we all have with our own bodies. So I'm really excited about that. And then the other piece that I'm writing is a piece about a disabled woman who um, is going through a really big life change and is really asking the question of what is independence as a disabled person. So on like a not art or like career focused kind of thing, I've been training my service dog. Um, his name is Scout. He's eight months old. He's a golden retriever and he's the light of my life. <laughs> and I love him lots. <laughs> like all of those sounds so rewarding. I'm writing this essay for this magazine about being queer in South Asia, specifically being queer in Indian because India decriminalized homosexuality while I was there over the summer doing queer work, but like mostly I've grown up in the West and it's this, like it's the first time that I've ever thought that my story would be something that other people might wanna hear. And that that's part of this podcast thing as well. I'm like, I care about other people's stories. So maybe other people also care about each other's stories and my story. I mean, I say I'm a musical theater artist, but I think like first and foremost, and that's why I enjoyed the those modes of art together and separately, because first and foremost, I just really find myself to be a storyteller. And I want to tell the stories, especially the stories that aren't being told. I'm an aspiring storyteller. This is my first foray into it. I'm I think. You're, I mean, you're, you're, you, you started this platform and like, you know, like I'm telling my story today, but like you've been helping other people share their stories. Like you gotta, you gotta manifest that. You got, you can't tell <laughs> the world you're aspiring you're doing it <laughs> so if you were to describe your um dysautonomia or like experiences with disabilities to somebody who doesn't know anything about that or maybe other people in the queer community what, what would you say to them yeah so like on like a medical note of like what dysautonomia is for those who don't know uh dysautonomia is an umbrella term for a group of disorders that affect the autonomic nervous system, which is the system in our body that um, controls everything that we don't think about. So things like heart rate, blood pressure, digestion, pupils dilating, sweating, 
uh, things of that nature are, can all be affected in someone who has dysautonomia. And then I specifically have a form of that called POTS, or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Uh, it's quite a mouthful, <laughs> but basically it means that when I stand up, instead of the blood going down to my feet and back up to my brain, which is what happens in like the average person, the blood goes down to my feet and just kind of pools there. And then I can faint or experience something called presyncope, which is kind of like all the gross feeling right before you faint without actually fainting um, with like a myriad of other symptoms. But that's kind of like the trademark symptom. You also mentioned that you are hard of hearing. Is that related to the dysautonomia or is that like a different just part of your life? It is and isn't. Potentially. I don't, I don't actually know. So POTS is a syndrome, meaning that something else causes it. And I don't know what the cause of mine is. Every time I've ever gotten my hearing tested or seen an audiologist, they've kind of speculated that whatever is causing my POTS is also causing my hearing loss. So not the POTS in particular, but the cause of my POTS is probably causing my hearing loss, if that wasn't too confusing. No, okay. Like, I was trying to tell stories from my friend group when I began this podcast. I was like, wow, we have so many different things to share about this. And then I was like, there's so much I don't know about other queer people's intersections and so much that's going on. And then as we started talking, I was like, podcasting a medium that you interact with in a, in a big way as someone who's hard of hearing, is that an accessible medium at all? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the hard of hearing person. I mean, for me personally, my hearing loss is um, considered to be in the mild range um, versus being moderate or profound. And it just, I think, you know, it depends. Like someone who might have like moderate hearing loss and hearing aids, um, you know, with the hearing aids, like might be fine to listen to a podcast. I think also, I mean, I don't know, do certain podcasts have like transcripts and things like that? I guess that would be the way in which someone who is deaf would be able to access that information. Do you do that for your YouTube channel? I try. I try my very best as a hard of hearing person to uh, caption all of my videos. And that's something I've been slowly catching up on. I didn't do that when I first started because I wasn't hard of hearing when I first started. But um, I've been slowly trying to catch up on captioning all my videos so that um, my deaf and hard of hearing audience can access these videos as well. If we can switch tracks a little bit and talk about dating apps and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> which dating apps have you used and what have been your goals or what have you used them for? Yeah, so I've used Tinder, or as I lovingly like to call it, good old Tindy. And I guess my goals using it are really to kind of just learn more about me. I was in a long-term relationship for a pretty significant time and a pretty formative time in my life. And there were a lot of questions that I have that I had that I wasn't really able to investigate in that time. And now as like a 24 year old, I'm like finally trying to figure out like, oh, like where do I fall on the spectrum? And like, how do I love? And like, could I be in love with more than one person at the same time? And like, just like all sorts of questions and like finding out what I like and what I don't like. Um, I pretty much go into Tinder, like not looking for anything in particular, but being open to kind of like whatever comes of it. <laughs> what kind of successes have you had? It's like 
really hit or miss for me. I mean, I find that um, it's kind of a general theme in my life with a disability. It's just like, you know, people either kind of love the idea of you or hate it. So I just kind of roll with it. Um, and, you know, I try not to take the rejection too personally. Um, but I definitely had like, you know, plenty of great like second dates <laughs> and like, you know, beyond that. But um I don't know. I've, I've met some cool people and people who are accepting of it and people who aren't, and that's fine, too. <laughs> well, it's not fine, but it's like, I get over it. <laughs> and it's not always my disability. I shouldn't just like <laughs> act like that's the only thing. You know, sometimes you just don't vibe with the person. <laughs> sure. Do you share your disability on your profile, or when do you tell people about it? Mm, I love this question because I feel like it's so... It's such a dilemma, I feel like, for disabled people. We're just like, okay, so when should we disclose this? Should we disclose this? I know people who are in wheelchairs who don't have any pictures of them in their wheelchair or, like, you, the wheelchair, like, you couldn't see that they're in a wheelchair, like, on their profile or anything like that. That's not what I do. Um, no shame against anyone who does do that. It's, you know, their personal decision, but... I have pictures of me in my wheelchair. Um, I think I used to, in my bio, say something about how I had a chronic illness. So, like, you know, it's it's always it's always an interesting time. Like, it keeps things exciting. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. But I think I got rid of that. I don't have that anymore. You know, it's there. You can. I'm not trying to hide it, but I'm also, it's not, like, what I'm trying to start the conversation with, you know? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Do you have any particularly fun stories from online dating? I have like one like kind of like just like funny, just like this would happen to me kind of story. So I was on, I was on a first date with somebody and like we like got drinks at a bar and they went to the bathroom. They come back and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And right before I left, they're like, oh, like, do you need help? And I was just like, and I'm thinking, like, in the stall and everything, I'm like, uh, no, like, I'm good. Like, if I needed that much help, like, I'd probably have, like, a care attendant with me or something, or I wouldn't be going to the bathroom right now on a first date. And just, you know, all these things are going through my head. And I was like, that was weird. And I'm, I take, like, two, probably, probably two pushes towards the bathroom, and then it occurs to me, and I turn around, and I go back to her, and I say, the bathroom is down a flight of stairs, isn't it? And she goes, yeah. And I was just like, oh. Oh. Thinking that she just, like, wanted to help me, like, in the stall. And this is, like, going to be really weird and awkward on a first date. But I was like, okay. Well, in that case, I can get down, but I'm probably going to need some help back up. So I got a little piggyback on my first date up the stairs. Piggybacks are a general theme in my dating life. <laughs> Honestly, it's like it's like my secret weapon it's like oh your your bedroom's like on the second floor like you're just gonna have to carry me up there <laughs> I guess on the flip side of that what are some stumbling blocks in in the dating world in particular and maybe online spaces especially I would say I mean just like physical accessibility I mean what I kind of just mentioned it's like oh there were stairs and I needed help like or, you know, someone wants to go somewhere that, like, might not be accessible or I don't know is accessible. Um, and that, you know, 
that, you know, there's <laughs> got to navigate that. But also that can be a really good like filter for people too. It's like someone who is like, hey, like I want to go to this place. Like uh, now thinking about like, do you know if that place is accessible? It's like if they mention that, like, ooh, bonus points in my heart. Like I'm just like, yes, <laughs> someone who's on it. <laughs> but then I think like the biggest thing for me and it can go one of two ways. Like as a person with a disability, especially someone in a wheelchair, it can happen where I'm just like really like fetishized. And like there are people out there like who like have like a fetish for that, which I don't know. I I personally just wouldn't want to be with someone like that. Like it's just not, and that's just my, <laughs> my own personal prerogative. But on the flip side of that, which is often like more so what I deal with is like people just infantilizing me and like not really seeing me like as like a sexual being and I don't know I feel like the best way I always explain it to people is you know people will call me like cute people call me adorable it's like really rare that like people who like I'm not like in a relationship with or something like that will call me like hot or sexy and like that can be like just kind of frustrating sometimes it's like you know, and I feel like that's kind of like, especially on dating apps, that's where it's just like people are like, oh, you're so cute. And then like they want to go on a date with you. And then they're just like, they just like can't get themselves to just like see you as like a sexual being and like have it like really progress to like anything of that nature. Yeah, that sounds super frustrating. How would you like deal with that in that situation? Do you tell them or are you just like, okay, guess I'm not going out with this person again? Or how do you think people could combat that mindset in themselves maybe? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to change it in other people. I, I mean, a lot of times, like, I'll get a lot of messages saying, like, right off the bat, just being like, so, like, does it work? Like, can you have sex? Like, or just, like, really weird questions. Like, have you ever had sex in your wheelchair? Like, just, like, stupid stuff like that. And yeah. so it's, like, I think there's also just a curiosity about it. And I think, like, that's part of the reason why I'm like really passionate about writing about disability and like creating art about it. Cause it's like, people just aren't talking about it. And I think if more people talked about it, people would realize like, Oh, like she can have a life just like everybody else. <laughs> like, you know, it's nothing really all that different. I mean, like, yeah, there are like some things to consider, but for the most part, like, you know, it really doesn't affect all that much. <laughs> yeah. I know you looked at the outline earlier. I have this segment that I call five swipes yeah. where my guest like pulls out a dating app of their choice. And I just love hearing the real time thoughts of the people you're looking at. I'm still such a noob to Tinder. Sometimes I feel and I like forget how to use it occasionally. And that was just what's happening anyway. So we have, uh, do I say their name? <laughs> Maybe whatever. Some people say names because they're like, ah, oh, it's just a first name. They're never going to listen. Or you can be like, this person on here, whatever. Say their name. Why not? Shayla23 is 29 miles away looking for a third or just some friends to hang with. Okay. Not particularly looking for a third right now, but uh, to be a third, I guess. Uh, she's a gothic mermaid princess. Not really something that resonates with me. She's a Slytherin. I'm a Gryffindor. I don't know if that'll work. <laughs> She's a metalhead. That's not really something I am. So I don't know. I just don't really see that things would really. That was just a zero checklist. <laughs> if you want to know more, just message me. 
I never know what to do when people say that kind of stuff. I'm like, um, why don't you just give me a few things that I can message you about? But she did do that. So at least there's that. So yeah, there's her and her boyfriend much more into her than her boyfriend. I'm going to swipe left. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We've got Zoe, 23. Uh, let's see. Can we even vibe, though? Need a solid zaddy, though. I don't know what that means. What's, what's, what's zaddy? <laughs> Keep high with all the food and booty rubs. Um, I don't think that this is really my jam. Uh, <laughs> that was a whole lot. Like <laughs> Smoking in, like, pretty much all our pictures. Um, I don't know. That's just, like, I no shame on, like, people... I don't know, smoke all the time. It's just not really my prerogative. And I don't feel like I usually vibe with people like that. So I'm going to swipe left. Oh, man, I feel picky at this point. <laughs> Every episode, people are like, well, you said five swipes. I never swipe on like one out of five people, just so you know. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I think that's normal. <sighs> okay, we've got Samantha. All the pictures pretty much are in front of a mirror, which I guess is fine. I just felt as a detail to share. <laughs> One with her car. Beauty and brains, nursing major. I mean, gotta love me a good doctor. <laughs> or like nurse, something medical. Um, ambitious, humble, Leo. I don't know, there's really, th- th- there's nothing wrong with her, but there's just also nothing like to write home about, you feel? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna swipe left. Okay, we got Dan- Oops. Danielle, medical laboratory technician. Okay, so medical. See, that's like, that's like hit or miss for me because like maybe like because I have a chronic illness, we, we, I would, I know enough medical terms that we could, we could vibe at the same time. I usually mostly only vibe with artists. It's bad. Um, She likes pineapples, Netflix, and laughing. I mean, who doesn't like laughing? Um, Mm -hmm. Your favorite emoji. I mean, that's a really easy way to like initiate things. That's actually really clever. Whoa. Yeah, it's like, that's super simple. Sure, why not? I, I'll swipe right. And then, wait, was that five or was that four? I can't, I don't remember. I think that was four. Four, so okay. The nurse and then the medical technician. Yeah, four. And have Leslie and Daniel. Man, the amount of people in Northeast Ohio looking for a third, though. Can we just... <laughs> Although she is pretty cute. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, I assume they're looking for a third since it's like a couple. Okay. So she's American and he's Australian or British. I don't know. It's a flag. It's not like it doesn't say it. It just has an emoji of the flag and I can't tell which it is. Maybe Australian and they have a fur family of very cute, adorable puppies. Ooh. Okay. Okay, cute. (laughs) Yeah, they're both cute and they have dogs. Um, It doesn't really, it's, you know, it's not saying exactly what they're looking for. So, I mean, I could use some like, for parent friends at the very least. We'll see where this could go. We'll swipe right. <laughs> um, oh, it's <and> match. <laughs> with, the, with the couple? Yeah, with the, with the last one. <laughs> Home run. Tinder has gotten so aggressive about the matches, it like pulls it yeah, up on the whole screen. The update really gets me. <laughs> yeah, me too. 
Yeah, I think couples are really interesting. I think I'm the same as you where it's like, oh, it's not like entirely a deal breaker, but I also feel like they have to approach it in a way that isn't really reductive, I think. Mm, Yeah, I feel that. I like, I don't know. It's not like something that I've like ever done, but like, you know, I've definitely swiped right in a few like, "Eh, okay, like we'll see like what they're all about. (laughs) Right, right. What do you think is something that queer spaces that you go to struggle in terms of disability inclusion? I think as a general rule of thumb, I mean, a lot of like the socialization that happens late at night, and I feel like usually involves alcohol. I just think that those are two things that for some people just aren't accessible. Like anyone with chronic fatigue, like isn't always going to be able to like do like late nights. And a lot of people with chronic illnesses, like, can't drink. I mean, I just think about, it's like, when's the last time you heard of a queer event that was happening during the day that didn't, or didn't involve alcohol? Like, they're pretty few and far between, I feel. There's actually this, like, really, like, kind of crazy statistic to me. One third of the LGBT community is disabled. What? And doesn't that just blow your mind? That blew my mind when I heard that statistic because there are just so many spaces like LGBT spaces that aren't accessible and it's like but there's so many in the community that have disability whether it be invisible or like visible um I don't know if that's including like mental disabilities or just physical I would presume just physical because I feel like it'd be more than that if it was mental as well I'm super curious what the word disability means in that context yeah like is that typically a self-identified term that some people who might be in the same situation might consider themselves disabled and other people might not yeah I mean I think like the ADA defines disability as like a condition or like perceived condition that affects your daily living or something like that I might be totally butchering that but Generally, I mean, disability is just a term to refer to. There is something that affects like your everyday life and like might inhibit you from being able to do like certain activities. When I was looking around for people to interview or talk on this subject, I I guess I felt nervous like ascribing that term to someone else. Mm. And I wasn't sure where people stood with it or how they felt. And I know, I guess I've read a lot of politics around it, like using that term for autism or for mental illness. And like, I don't know, it was it was interesting. And I think I found you because you were using the disgabled oh, hashtag. Yes. <laughs> I love that hashtag. Yeah, it was a cool community online from there. I was like, wow. Yeah, social media is like really crazy in that way that it's, it's so easy to find other people like, you know, who are kind of fall into those same intersections that you do. Just like in your personal opinion, what would something that able-bodied queer folks could do to be stronger allies? I mean, I would say, I mean, one, if you're, you know, um, hosting a queer event, I mean, the physical space is accessible and, you know, get a sense of who is coming to your event. What are the needs of like, you know, your what are the needs of the people that you predict are going to be coming to this event? And if you don't know what those needs are, um, you know, depending on what kind of event it is, like, for example, when I did dysfunction just fine, when you reserved your tickets, like something that we did is like people um, had to answer a few questions and like, 
one of the questions was if they had any accessibility needs and then they just wrote them down and then we had like a list of like the things that we needed so that's like a really easy way to kind of get that information and I think just you know consider like okay what would this event look like if it were during the day like would that work not to say that like every event should be during the day and every event shouldn't um like shouldn't have alcohol but it's like I think we should be like creating some things that are accessible in that way. Just being mindful, you know, being mindful that like we are like a part of this community and like, like we're here. Like we also like want to have fun. We also want to like celebrate pride, like all these kind of things. It's like, I think sometimes we forget and there's a, you know, obviously a big reason why the physical spaces of queer, like a lot of physical queer spaces are not accessible is because there was a time in which they had to be underground and like kind of secretive. And so that plays a really big role in why there isn't that accessibility. Um, but you know, newer spaces, there's really not an excuse in my opinion. <laughs> That's so interesting. I, I'd never thought about that like queer history aspect of it. Do you have any specific role models for yourself in like queer or disabled activists, people that you think of who are doing the work before you? Yeah, um, Annie Eleni comes to mind. She's um, queer, uh, disabled activist. Actually, I actually am unsure if they go by she or they pronounce that I think about it. They do a lot of um, activism and really talk about that intersection and I think have educated a lot of people on disability and just queer spaces. And I think they do a lot of work on kind of how can we make queer spaces accessible, which is really cool. Ali Stroker is a huge role model of mine. She is a musical theater performer. She was the first performer in a wheelchair on Broadway. Um, she's also bisexual, so that's super cool. Yeah, um, there's definitely others that I'm just like totally blanking, but there's so many cool people doing cool things. <laughs> I wish I could remember them all at the moment, but those are the two that come to mind. So tell me more about like the impact of your vlogging journey. Do you feel like you've experienced anything in your personal life about having this public persona? I guess that could be negative or positive, like either like the weight of it or maybe like a really positive experience that you've gotten out of doing it. Yeah, I think I mentioned before, like, one of the positive things is that I feel like I'm really making a difference, like, in my own community, which has, like, been really nice. And I really felt like I could help a lot of people with chronic illnesses and disabilities. And I feel like I was really surprised when I felt like young queer people were also really resonating with, like, some of my videos about, like, queerness and everything. And I just, like, I never felt like it was I don't know. I just never felt like I could be like a queer role model. So it was like really cool when people were like, wow, like your channel, like, you know, gave me the courage to come out or something like that. It's like, what? Like me? Like little old me in Ohio? Like, um, I think those kind of things like get me sometimes. There's a fine line sharing about my medical journey. So I try to help people as much as I can. But at the same time, I want to be real and I want to be honest about like the like hard times of having a chronic illness. But sometimes it's hard to find the balance of I don't want to like share like too much about like like when my illness flares up or something like that, because sometimes I feel like it almost like 
and this is totally in my head. It's not accurate, but like sometimes it just almost feels like it invalidates like my advice. It's like, oh, well, I'm giving advice, but I'm super sick right now. So obviously my advice can't be that good, which is totally in my head. But that's something that like I've definitely struggled with. I mean, I'm honest about everything on the channel, but there's just like some stuff that I keep like, you know, to my own private life and don't really share online. Yeah, I think there's a real balance in vulnerability. I think that the way that I feel about it, because I, I do share like a lot about like mental health and like try to be really visible as like a queer person and like what I'm going through. I think there's a point where I feel like I'm selling my story and not like not selling it, but like like I lose touch with it if I'm being if I'm giving like too much of it away. And I think that's been like a balancing act, like how much of it am I like gaining strength from and like sharing strength from sharing about it? And then when am I like doing too much? Yeah. And I also think it's like important to like, remember at the end of the day, like, I don't know, it's, it's just a YouTube channel. Like I've taken, I've taken like a massive break. Like I haven't uploaded anything in a few months at this point. And like, you know what, like the world is like still going, like, it's like, it's like nothing, you know, like the world moves on. Um, and I do plan on uploading something actually probably this week. I did have to really take a break for like my own health and like just I just had like way too much personally going on so I just decided that I was just gonna take a break from it until I figured out like how I was gonna address things going on in my personal life since they were very much tied into like what I shared on my channel and so trying to figure out like what is a good amount to share and what parts I really like want to keep to myself and like in my own keep them private and cherish them as my own moments, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that. What's something you wish you could tell your younger self, either five or 10 years ago version of Meredith? I think both five years ago and 10 years ago, I just need to hear that like everything's going to happen like when it's meant to happen and everything's going to fall into place at just the right time. And like, it might not always seem that way, eventually you always see that things happens like for their very particular reason and like for the betterment of you. <laughs> Maybe I, I just need to hear that. I needed to say it to hear it for myself now. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what all teenage versions of me and also current me needs to think about. Yeah. I mean, I guess the other thing that I needed to hear, especially cause that was like, you know, those two, five and 10 years, I became disabled probably about five years ago. So somewhere in there, um, you know, definitely need to hear that like limitation breeds creativity. The disability is not going to hold me back. It's only going to make me thrive in this field. I need to like sit with that one for a second. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to get too deep. Because <laughs> even if it's not like, you know, a disability or anything like that, even like just thinking of like a writing like exercise, it's like if someone tells you just write versus writing within a prompt, like you're usually going to get a much better result when you're when you have some sort of semblance of a, like something you have to be limited within. All right, then. I had a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. If you enjoyed this week's episode, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TindergartenPod. Thank you to Supermarine for making our music. To hear the complete track and more, find them on Spotify. And thank you to Kevin Shundlum for our graphic design work. Find him on Instagram at kev.bot. Until next time, class.